Hello and welcome to the Milk and Honey podcast. My name is Farida Matthews, and this podcast is all about the adventure of a relationship with Jesus. We'll be talking about life's many battles and blessings and the promises God has for us on this road trip called life. So let's get comfortable and go on this journey of discovering our purpose in God together. We made it to episode two of the Milk and Honey podcast, and I'm so excited to be bringing you another episode today. If you have listened to episode one, thank you so, so much. And if you haven't, why don't you go check it out? But today, I'm going to be exploring the topic of being in a season of waiting and dealing with comparison in that season. And thank you so much to Beth Hobbs, my amazing friend, who suggested this topic. I definitely wanted to look at it as soon as I saw the suggestion, because honestly, this is probably the most significant thing that God has been doing in my life this year. So I'm going to be a little bit transparent today. This is something that I've been really focused on and praying about, and it's probably the number one area of spiritual growth that I've seen in my life. And I felt like God has been challenging me to wait and to wait well. And in that, Joshua 3 has been so instrumental for me. For those of you who haven't read Joshua or maybe you've ended up on this podcast and you don't even know how and you've never even picked up a Bible, Joshua is the story of the Israelites after they've left Egypt, they're free from slavery, and now they've got to make their way to the promised land that God has for them. And on that journey to the promised land, they come across a river and they've got to cross this river and they don't know how. But God is like, don't worry, I got y'all. I'm gonna help you cross this river, but you gotta do a couple things. You gotta send your priests out ahead of you, get them to stand in the water and hold the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is where God would reside in Old Testament times. So essentially take me and stand in the river and wait for me to perform a miracle. I'm gonna shift this water and y'all are gonna be able to cross. Sounds easy enough, right? But what God ends up doing is he starts the miracle that he promised them upstream, which means that it doesn't actually begin right in front of their eyes. And this is what God has been challenging me with. He's been asking me, Farida, can you wait with faith expectantly for the miracle that I've promised you, even if you can't see it yet? Because waiting can be so discouraging. I can imagine the Israelites staring at the priests stood in the middle of the water thinking God got us looking stupid out here in these streets. But honestly, it can genuinely feel that way sometimes when you're waiting. And I can't say that I've completely figured out how to wait well, but me and my friends have been going through Exodus together and I think I've picked up a few things that could help me and maybe help you wait well. The first is be prepared. In Exodus 12, God tells the Israelites, put on your shoes, put on your clothes. It's midnight when he tells them to do this. Get your clothes on because when I tell you to go, you gotta be ready to go. So are we prepared for when God tells us what is next? Are we prepared to step into the miracle that he has in the next season? And the second thing is in Exodus 12, God tells them to remember what he's going to do. And I feel like God is challenging me in that to learn to praise him before he's actually done anything. He's told them to remember the Passover and to celebrate it every single year after that day. 
if I'm the Israelites, I'm thinking, God, I ain't even seen you do nothing yet. Like we're still in Egypt. We're still in captivity. And you're telling us to praise you for the fact that you're going to set us free. That's like such a God thing. Like it's so upside down, but it's so true. Like, let's just praise God for who he is before he's done anything, before he's performed any miracles, just because he is our loving and gracious father, we should praise him and we should thank him. So yeah, I feel like God's been challenging me on those two fronts to be prepared and to praise him before he's even done anything. But now the second part of Beth's suggestion is the topic of comparison. And in this, I just wanna talk about two things and comparison is one of them that makes waiting really hard and very difficult. In Exodus, there's a guy called Moses and God has asked Moses to do a mammoth task. He's asked him to go and set his people free, to set the Israelites free from slavery and from captivity. And the first thing that Moses does is actually probably the very human thing. He proceeds to tell God exactly why God has got it wrong. And he's the wrong person for this job. He got so many issues, he stutters, he is not the right person, he can't speak well. Like Moses is all over the shop as to why he cannot do what God is asking him to do. And it's really funny because he proceeds to tell God about himself when he doesn't realize that actually God called you. He called Moses knowing everything that Moses could not do. And that was not the point. The point is the fact that God was with him. God would always be with him in everything that he was asking him to do. But it does bring up a really important point. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And I just know that the enemy is out there trying to use comparison to shake our faith and make us forget who we are and whose we are. It says in the Bible in John 10, 10, that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. Where comparison begins, that's where contentment ends. And it's never been easier to compare ourselves to others. Social media makes it so easy. You could be having such a good day and then you pull up Instagram or you pull up Facebook or whatever else social media app you're using and you see everybody else out having fun and you're like, wait, why didn't I get invited? Or why couldn't I be there? Or maybe you see your friend and she's on like her second vacation of the year and you're like, oh, I can't even afford to go to my mama's house. It is that bad. Or maybe, you know, your girl and her man are out eating dinner at the Shard and it's so romantic. And then you look over and your bae's playing video games and you're eating pesto pasta. It is so easy to lose contentment when you start to compare yourself to others. And especially when it comes to purpose, it is so easy to look at others who seem to have their life completely together or others who may be doing incredible things for God and their communities or people who just seem to have a career or a job that they love with a family that looks like the ones that you get in those photo frames that you buy from Ikea. And you start asking God if what you're doing with your life is significant in comparison. The frustration of not knowing what God is calling you to or the unfulfillment of where you currently are in life is a very real thing. And it's okay to be on that journey of self-discovery and to feel those feelings of frustration. But remember that where you are is exactly where God wants you to be. Where we are is exactly where God wants us to be. 
It may not be the final destination, but it is part of the journey and there is a reason why we may be there. What we do when we compare is to try and fit ourselves into someone else's purpose rather than discover what God has planned uniquely for us. We begin to change who we are to fit into a space that was never designed or was never supposed to be for us. And we should never contour our character to be someone else. That's why I love Hebrews chapter 12. Verses one and two tells us this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you realize that there's a race marked out for you? There's a calling for you, a purpose for you, a mission that is made uniquely for you and a lane that you're supposed to run in and run the race that is marked out for you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And with our eyes fixed on him, we stay in our lane, we fulfill our purpose, we do what we're created to do. And if you've ever ran cross country or done a hundred meter sprint, you'll know what I'm talking about. The fastest way to lose the race is to what? To look sideways, to look at what the other runners are doing. You should never look sideways. You should keep your eyes fixed on the finish line. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize and the prize is Jesus. So we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We run with perseverance. We stay in our lane and we run our race. Another thing that could stop us from waiting well is fear. The fear of what may or may not be ahead, or the fear of having missed it, missed God's plan entirely. Fear is something that we all experience at some point. Maybe when you were a kid, you were afraid of the dark, or maybe you were like me as a teenager and afraid of being friendless, being alone. Or as we get older, we might be afraid the economy is gonna go down, a very real possibility during this pandemic currently. Will there be any jobs? Or maybe you're a student and you're wondering, will I even make it through university? And what does it even look like to make it through university in a pandemic? It could be that you're worried and praying about the health of someone that you love. All of us at different points in our lives will battle feelings of fear. The good news is though, that God did not give us fear. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Just say that over yourself right now. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What does this mean for us? If fear is not from God, then we are accepting something that is not from God. And when fear comes, we push back by pressing into God like never before. I have a devotional, which is basically a book full of short thoughts on scripture, and it's called Jesus Calling. And I saw this quote in it. It said, we often glance at God, but gaze at our circumstances. And that's backwards. We've got to learn how to constantly gaze at Jesus and occasionally look at our problems, occasionally glance at our circumstances, occasionally take notice of our fears, but my normal, my everyday should be gazing into the eyes of Jesus. And that's what we have to do in order to find freedom from the fear, in order to live the life that God wants for us. John Wesley, a famous preacher from the 1700s said, I've never known more than 15 minutes of anxiety or fear. 
Whenever I feel fearful emotions overtake me, I just close my eyes and thank God that he is still on the throne, reigning over everything, and I take comfort in his control over all the affairs of my life. God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's not from him. What is from him is a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. That is God's life for us. And Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, to live life abundantly. So while you wait, don't fear the future. Anticipate the future with great joy and live life abundantly in the present. And just to end, I just want to come back to the topic of comparison again, because I feel like it's something that comes up a lot in discussion. And I want to leave you with a quote by Lisa Brevere, and she's an author and the founder of Messenger International. And she writes in her book called Without Rival, she writes, you are the only example of you. You are the beginning and the end of you. There is not a designer sample scheduled for mass production. In God's lineage, there are no copies. No one can do you like you. God uniquely created your DNA and knit your frame in secret so that he could surprise the world. He authored how your heart expresses itself. He was the architect of your smile and the melody of your voice. He made all of your features with the fondest thoughts of only you in mind. There is absolutely nothing accidental about you. God defines our worth and to compare ourselves to others is contradictory to how God views us. And he views each and every single one of us as unique. Each single person is a masterpiece designed, created and loved by God. And out of that love came his rescue plan, the plan to send Jesus into our mess of a world and to pay the price for our salvation in order to bring us home, to draw us close and to remind us that we are his children. If God defines our worth and considered us worthy enough to send his son to die for us, then who are we and what are we worth? If we adopted this mindset of seeing ourselves the way God sees us, how would we view seasons of waiting and the comparison that sometimes comes with it? And that's the question I leave with you today.